Welcome to the Gateway.Live podcast. We are so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in. To give you a little bit of a heads up, we are wrapping up a series this weekend that we've been in since the beginning of the year entitled Forward Progress. And we've been taking a look at our personal relationship or connection to the body of Christ. And it has led up to today, and more specifically, one verse in the Bible. Now, I'm not going to tell you to turn there. It's in Luke chapter 10, because if I have you turn to the verse, you're going to read ahead, and it's going to ruin everything, okay? So I'm going to chop up this verse, and I'm going to give you several things, uh, because we're talking about growing the family, growing the family of God. A big part of being in the family of God is not just enjoying being a family member, but it is growing the family. That is the family business we are called to, to grow the family of God. Now, Luke chapter 10 gives us three things that I'm going to kind of break down, three things that we see that I believe are really, they're universal, but I I felt that before we started this series, Luke chapter 10 verse 2 was a, a word, a prophetic word for us as a church. So let's chop it up and take a look at how it applies to us. And before I jump into it, let me just say, next week I'm starting a series on marriage. So for those of you who are married, you need to be here next week. For those of you who are single and you hate series on marriage, you need to be here next week even more than the married people do. All right, I'm going to test the boundaries of my relational equity that I've spent five and a half years building with this church, okay? It's gonna be an interesting series. There are gonna be moments where as a a woman, you think he is my ally, and then 10 seconds later, you're gonna think he is my mortal enemy. That's how that series is gonna go. It's gonna be awesome, and and, uh, I've been waiting for the Lord to kind of uh, give me the green light to do this series. and it, it's been a couple years in the making, so it's going to be a fun time all the way up to Easter weekend. And I, I asked the Lord, I'm, I'm actually preaching on sex the week before Easter, and I said, Lord, is that taboo? I mean, is, is that okay? Do I need to move that to a, an earlier week? Is that weird? Uh, so if I change that, you'll know why. Uh, Luke chapter 10, verse 2, months ago, the Lord gave me as a word for our church, And as you, I know many of you have heard this verse, but I want you to take a look at it with fresh eyes today. I don't want you to look at this message as simply foundational, because oftentimes it's the stories in scripture that we grow up hearing in Sunday school that the enemy tries to make the least significant because we've heard them so many times when oftentimes they're some of the most powerful testimonies of God's faithfulness. It's a little bit how I feel about Luke chapter 10, verse two. Because many of us have heard it a lot, it's easy just to go, oh yeah, I know that verse, no big deal. No, this verse is a really big deal. So let's, let's break it down. Here's point number one. The first thing we see in Luke chapter 10, verse two, is the promise. We see God making a promise through Christ. 
as he begins to speak in this verse. Here's what he says, four words. The harvest is great. It would be easy to just read those four words and go, oh yeah, that's great, good news. Harvest is great. No, 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 no. Listen to me closely. The harvest is great. It's out there. It's sitting on a tee. Now more than ever. I believe this year is going to be the most miraculous year that we've experienced as a church so far. I don't say that to hype you up. I say it to give you a heads up. This is going to be the most miraculous year we've experienced. It's going to stretch us. Not that the other five haven't. There's something different about this year. And I, I had somebody ask me last night, hey, so what happened with the 21-day fast? Uh, over the next couple months, I'll be able to talk to you about some things that are happening that, that we're not ready to talk about publicly. But this is going to be a year the likes of which we haven't seen so far. The harvest is great, but it's, it's not an automatic promise without requirements. The harvest is great. I was reading an article uh, last week and the person writing it was talking about how this is the most difficult day in which to live as a follower of Jesus Christ in the United States of America. That it's never been more difficult to be a believer in Jesus in this country than it is today. Some of you might agree with that statement. And, and the article was talking about how it's only getting worse and it's going to get harder for churches to do what they do in this country. And it's going to be harder for believers to go into the workplace and even identify as believers. And, and it was just, the more I read it, the darker it got. Have you ever read an article like that? Well, there's another way to look at that sentence, that it's never been more difficult to be a follower of Jesus Christ in this country than it is today. There's another way to look at it. Here's the way I would look at it. There has never been a more difficult time to be a believer in Jesus Christ in this country than today. That's how I look at it. Preston, that sounds like exactly the same thing. No, it doesn't. You see, the person writing the article was saying it's darker than it's ever been. I look at that same state of facts and I say, the best time to carry around a flashlight is when it's darkest. So you can be negative about it and say, oh, it's getting so hard to be a believer. It's so dark out there. Yes, it is. That's why flashlights come in handy. Listen to what Jesus says about himself. John chapter 12, verse 46. I have come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. No matter how dark it gets out there, it's still light if I've got him. And it's concerning me that the church is starting to stare at the darkness and begin to see more darkness than opportunity for light. Everywhere there is darkness, there is an opportunity to shine light. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 8. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So what do you do with it? So live as people of light. What does it look like to be people of light? Well, that leads us to point number two. Luke chapter 10, verse 2 shows us the problem. First, it gives us the promise, the harvest is great, but then it gives us the problem. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now, the church planner's hand guide would say, don't say what I'm about to say, because you never tell the people how hard things are going to be. You always make it sound like it's supposed to be easier so they'll be willing to try, okay? Whereas I believe, I'm just going to tell you how hard, all right? So here's the big question. Why are there so few workers in the body of Christ? Here's the answer. Because harvesting is hard. Harvesting is hard. It's not easy. Harvesting takes commitment. Seeing an eternal harvest as a result of God working through you does not involve sitting on a beach Drinking something with an umbrella out the top of it. It requires a sword and a shovel. It takes work. And the work is hard. Now, Scripture tells us we are called to work that is hard. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15 says, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. I think some of us are thinking we're just going to get to heaven and God's going to give his approval of us, his well done of God, simply because we received Christ and made him Lord of our lives. Now think about this for a second. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say those who just squeak or kind of barely get into heaven are the ones he's going to look at and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Think about it. God is not going to look at, and what does it mean for someone to kind of barely squeak their way into heaven? Here's what it means. Someone who has made Jesus Lord of their life, but never labored for the Lord of the harvest. That's somebody that just squeaks their way into heaven. And I just don't see God welcoming someone like that into heaven going, well done. I don't know how you found your way in here, but well done. No, that's not what he's saying. The well done of God is God's response to work done well in his name. We're called to work. I get it as the church. We love to worship and I love to worship. But we can't just worship. We've got to work as well. So here's the big question. What do laborers do? If the harvest is great, but the workers are few, the laborers are few, what do laborers do? Let me give you three things. Here's the first one. They prioritize the people in the name of the Lord. I'll give you a one-word way to say that. They seek. They seek. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Jesus himself says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save, and we'll get to that in a minute, to seek and save that which was lost. There are two types of people we prioritize here at Gateway Church. You need to listen to this, all right? There are two types of people. There are many types of people on the earth, but we only focus on two types of people here at this church. Christians 
and not yet Christians. That pretty much sums up everybody, does it not? We focus on Christians and not yet Christians. A while back, several years ago, I was with a senior pastor uh, and he had come up with the slogan for his church, a church for the unchurched. And you know how I get every once in a while, I have that touch of an ornery streak in me, you know? I know you don't have anything like that. I, I'm so ungodly compared to you. But I said to him one day, I've been dying to ask you a question. He said, yeah, man, shoot. What do you want to ask? I said, your, your church's slogan is a church for the unchurched, right? He said, yes, man, that's what we're all about. I said, well, if an unchurched person comes to your church, aren't they now churched? So are they no longer welcome? And he looked at me like, you're an idiot. And I looked at him back like, your slogan is idiotic. I get what he's saying, but listen, the church was never meant to be about one type of person. It was meant to be for everybody, for everybody. What do laborers do? They don't just focus on the family. They focus on growing the family, which means going outside the walls of the church, seeking out that which is lost, not yet saved, not yet a believer in Jesus, and doing something about it. Luke chapter 14, verse 16 through 24, gives a great picture of what I hope our church looks like. Jesus is, is speaking in a parable, and he says, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many. And sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, Come, for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to test them. I ask to have me excused. And I love this next guy's excuse. Still another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. <laughs> that guy gets it right there. <laughs> so that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. No better place for people who are lame, who are maimed, who are blind than the house of the Lord. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you have commanded, and still there are empty seats. Then the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I say to you that none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. We are called to seek. There is something romantic about leaving our place, going out to where they are. Why do you think we have this trailer ministry? It isn't so they can come to us. It's so that they can see God come to them. That's what seeking looks like. Why are we thinking about buying a 39-foot RV 
and putting a sonogram machine into it so that we can pull up to where a young woman is who got pregnant in an unplanned manner and is thinking about terminating the baby. Why would we spend all that money? I'll tell you why, because that's what seeking looks like. I'm not just seeking that woman, we're seeking that baby. Why would we pass out crocheted baby blankets and hats to a young lady? who's thinking about aborting the baby. I'll tell you why. Because that's what seeking that baby looks like. We're called to seek. We can't just sit any longer. We've got to seek in ways we never have before. And it's time to be more aggressive than we've ever been. We've spent five years here as a church laying the foundation. It's time to take the thing out for a spin. Either we can use this to do something or the last five years of my life have been a waste. And I don't believe they have been. We're going to take this bad boy out for a spin and we're going to see souls because of it. But it's going to require us to seek in ways we never have before. Here's the second thing we see that laborers do. They prepare a place for the visitation of the Lord. Another way to say that is serve. They seek, they serve. John chapter 14 verse 2 Jesus says, there's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Okay, think about this for a moment. Jesus said that, right? Right? It's not a trick question. Jesus said that, right? It's red letters in your Bible. Okay. And we are Christ followers, Is that right? Okay. Which means if he did it, we're supposed to do it too. Okay, think about this. Jesus says, I have to go away because I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything's ready, I'm going to come back and get you. Okay. Before his second coming, he is preparing a place for us. And as Christ followers, you know what that means we're called to do? Spend our days not waiting, playing the clock out. We are called to prepare a place for him to return to. That's what serving is. We are preparing a place for him and for them. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but why do we serve in the local church? Is it because the church needs help? Is it because the church needs a free labor force? Absolutely, unequivocally not. The reason we serve is because we love God. And we love everything and everyone God loves. Now think about this for a minute. When a lost person comes through the door and you happen to be serving that weekend, greeting them, and thankfully... You got your coffee that morning, so you're all pepper, you're all energetic and ready to go. The person walks in, and they're on the fence about walking through the door, haven't been to church in years. They're nervous, they think everybody's looking at them, and they encounter you at the door. And you're as friendly as you've ever been, and you just sense something different about this person, and so you ask someone to cover your door, and you accompany them 
into the auditorium, make sure they find a seat, and you decide to sit with them through the whole service. After the service, you help them meet some people. Think about this for a minute. Do you know how hard it is for a lost person to wrap their mind around the fact that Jesus laid his life down for them? That's a lot to wrap a mind around. But do you know how much easier it is to understand that Jesus laid his life down for you when you see Jesus' followers laying their lives down for him? When a lost person sees you lay your life down in service to them, here's what happens. Why, why are you doing this for me? Why, why, why are you serving me? You don't even know me. I, I don't even believe in your God. Why, why, why are you serving me like this? The answer is simple. Because I love God. And I love everyone he loves. And God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. Jesus Christ laid his life down for you. Therefore, I gladly, full of excitement, lay my life down for you in little ways, like greeting you with the biggest smile, sitting with you during service, taking you out to lunch afterwards. We're called to seek, we're called to serve. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse five, you see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves, we preach that Jesus Christ is Lord and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. Mark chapter 10, verse 45, Jesus says, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus attaches serving with laying your life down. We're called to lay our lives down for one another and for the lost. That brings us to the third thing that laborers do. Laborers prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. The easiest way to say that in one word is save. We seek, we serve, we save. Have you ever thought about this? How do you show gratitude to God? How, do you, how does one show God that they are grateful to be a part of his family? Well, let me let you in on a little secret. It isn't by showing up to the weekly family meeting. Some people think, well, if I just go to church every week, that's the way I show gratitude to God. No, it's not. You show up to church every week because you need it, and so do I. We are created to worship together, to draw strength from hearing the word of God and worshiping corporately together and serving one another using the gifts God has given us in the house of the Lord. That's why we come to church every week. We don't come to church every week to show them we're grateful. Come to church because we need it. How do we show gratitude to God that we're grateful to be a part of his family? I think one of the best ways to show God gratitude, that we're grateful to be a part of the family of God, is to grow the family. If I really love being a part of this family, the way I show it is I increase the size of it. We are called to expand the boundaries of God's kingdom. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. 
And then Jesus told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved. But anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. I hate reading that part every time I read that passage. But anyone who does not believe will be condemned. I deserve to be condemned. So do you. But because of the blood of Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. And I want everybody on the planet to get in on the goodness of God, being released from the condemnation we all deserve as a result of our sin. When you think about seeking, serving, and saving, one of the things I want you to do in 2018 is that I want you to start measuring your months around these things. I know there are other things we have to measure, but whatever you presently measure on a monthly basis, how am I doing in this area? How am I doing in this area? I want you to add these three things. Start asking yourself on a monthly basis, how am I doing in the area of seeking? Have I isolated myself and surrounded myself with nothing but believers to the extent that I'm never even around lost people and I never really even notice when I am? Have I become that isolated? How are you doing in the area of serving? When you come to church, are you served more than you serve? One of the ways you know that you see the, the local church as a home rather than a hotel is you serve more than you're served. When I go to a hotel, they serve me. When I go home, the four people under that roof make sure I serve. I cannot treat my home like a hotel. If I walked in, ladies, just think about this for a minute. If I walked into my house later today and looked at my wife as though she were the person cleaning my room when I stay at a hotel when I travel and said, excuse me, miss, could I get a couple more towels and, and two more of those chocolates that go on my pillow? Uh, and I noticed that my bed wasn't folded down this morning. Uh, tomorrow morning, could you make, ladies, how do you think that would go over? Not very well, right? Okay. How do you think it goes over? When we show up to the house of God, but treat it like a hotel, expecting to be served, rather than seeking to serve. I know it's a tough question. It's an inconvenient truth, but make no mistake, it's a truth. And this leads us to the third thing we see in Luke chapter 10. I showed you the promise, I showed you the problem. Harvest is great, workers are few, but I wanna show you the solution. Here's point number three, the solution is a prayer. And Jesus said to them, the harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few, therefore pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest or into the fields. When I was around 13 or 14 years old, I felt like the Lord spoke to me 
that I was going to pastor one day. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what it looked like. I had no idea it would, it would involve Scottsdale, Arizona, the Valley of Phoenix. And then I turned 18, looking where to go to school, came out here with my parents. The Lord spoke very clearly. This was the place that I would spend many years of my life serving him. And as I got older, knowing what God had put me on the earth to do, I found myself praying a prayer because I, I know it might sound cheesy, it might sound silly, but I knew even as a young boy that if I just did everything God said, God would always be with me. And I never questioned whether God was going to be with me. But here was the prayer I would pray. God, I know you're sending me. And I know you're with me. But God, I can't do this by myself. And I know you want some really extravagant things done. I can't do them by myself. And I would pray Luke chapter 10, verse 2. So God, I pray. I see the harvest every time I close my eyes. I see homeless people being ministered to on street corners that no one pays attention to. I see young women who got pregnant, didn't plan on it, being ministered to in 39-foot RVs with sonogram machines that save the lives of many babies. I see young children in classrooms being ministered to, being taught how to steward the presence of God, how to worship with a pure heart and clean hands. I see groups all over the valley where people are exercising the gifts they've been given. God, every time I close my eyes, I can see the harvest and I see, God, that it's great. But God, please, would you send laborers into this field to help? And here's what he did. He sent you. He sent you. You don't know this, but somebody in here is going to meet somebody in a really tough spot on a street corner later this year. And it'll be the first time you've ever ministered to anybody, shared the gospel with them. You're going to lead someone to Christ this year because you had the guts to go flip burgers in a trailer on a street corner. Somebody in this room is going to save the life of a baby because you spend a couple of hours with a young lady who keeps going back and forth about whether she should abort this child. Somebody in this room is gonna pray with somebody at this very altar later this year and the person's thinking about committing suicide and they come forward to the altar and all they're wanting to know is does someone care? And the second they walk up, you're not known for crying but something bursts in your heart and you start weeping and you hug them and this person weeps back and in their hearts they say, God, I want to know you. I don't, I don't want to kill myself. I want to know Jesus and I want to live eternally with him. 
I could go on and on and on. It's sitting on a T. It's sitting on a T. Someone's got to pick up a sword and a shovel this year. I pray to God it's you. I don't need this church to be huge. I don't need it to be known as amazing. I just want God to look at it and say that's effective. And he will do that if all of us stand up and do our part to grow the family of God. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. God, these people are amazing. I can't even believe they're here. I really can't. I remember the first couple of weeks, 850 seats, 65 people showing up thinking, harvest is great, God. Please, would you send more laborers? Don't send more people to occupy seats. At the end of my life, I'm not going to brag about our biggest attended weekend ever. God, I want to stand in your presence and I want you to brag about all the lives that were changed because a bunch of people laid their lives down, served you, and built the family. God, I want to be a part of a church that plunders hell and populates heaven. I pray that you'd give us a growing conviction this year, that we'd not be satisfied to do what we've always done. I pray each of us would go further this year in the way in which we lay our lives down to grow the family of God. God, thank you for inviting us into the family business. We don't see it as a weight. We see it as the opportunity of a lifetime. It is dark out there, but God, thank you for giving us the light. May this year be a year where more lights turn on in the darkest of places than ever have before in this church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on Gateway.Live. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at www.gatewaylife.com.